I'm John Moscow. And I'm Amy Halpern-Laff. Welcome to Ethical Schools. This is the second part of a two-part episode which we began last week. If you missed it, you can go back and check it out. Our guests are Dr. Alan Singer, a former New York City high school teacher and a teacher educator at Hofstra University. Dr. Pablo Muriel, a social studies teacher at Alfred E. Smith in the Bronx and a cooperating teacher and adjunct also at Hofstra. And Dennis Bellin Morales, a Gates Millennium Scholar and recent graduate of Hofstra, where he majored in history, social studies education, and Latino studies. Dennis was Pablo's student at Alfred E. Smith and both Alan's and Pablo's student at Hofstra. Welcome back, Alan, Pablo, and Dennis. Another question is, some teachers find themselves in schools where the administration is anxious to avoid anything that could be controversial. How do you recommend that teachers should work with unsupportive principals? Okay, I'm going to be very sincere with you. Uh, one of the things that I did, I, I wanted to know the rules to the game. So I became a union chapter leader. I really wanted to know the, the, what the union had to offer as far as protection and as far as, as those things. I, I always want to know my parameters. Number two, when I, when I did become a UFT chapter leader, I figured out how to negotiate a win-win situation on all sides. So what I used to do with my, my principals uh, using my UFT hat at times was tell them honestly, if anything were to come to the school, it will come directly to me, not to them. So one of the things that administ- my administrators at least always saw, I, I remember one of my administrators, I'm not gonna say her name, but she pulled me to the side, she said, listen, I got a call from Bloomberg's office. I, I, don't, want, I don't want him in here, I, I'm close to retirement. Pablo don't do this to me. And I said, look, I, I'm not. Bloomberg didn't show up, but he sent one of his representatives. And so it, it was a lot less of a hit for the principal. So these are things that you've got to let your administrators know that they have to trust you. They can't walk into a room and you're on your phone or you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. And then suddenly you're going to turn around and tell your administrator, I want to take my kids on a trip to Long Island to a university and let them run loose. That, that'll never fly. So if they trust you and, and the rapport is there, uh, most of those things that you will do will not, once you master your content, and your rapport with the students is solid and, and, and you have a presence um, and that has to be developed. It takes a couple of years. It takes time, but it's worth it. And once you get there, you're at a whole different level and that goes with the kids more so than anyone else. So I, I can tell you this, I've never, I've been asked this question a bunch of times. The last person asked me this question was my current principal and he was trying to make a point and I get his point because I was defending someone a, a couple of years back and he said to me, he looked at me and said, Pablo, You've been, you were a chapter leader in your old school. You've been a chapter leader here for a couple of years. I said, yeah. He said, he said collectively 15 years. And he said, how many letters do you have in your file? And I said, none. And he go, why is that? I said, I, I don't know. And he was the one who gave me, he said, because you understand the guidelines, whereas they do not, and you need to explain that to them. And that's when I said, oh, wow. I, I didn't think, because you kind of do stuff. You don't kind of, you don't stop and think and analyze your own actions at times. I, th- I just stick with administrators, and I've only literally worked in, for, I mean, three separate schools, but three different buildings. It's just weird. Um, if, this is the key, I think, yeah. to what you're saying. Okay. Change things if you can't keep your job. And that is yes. very important. One of the things we did in the book. Alan, when I get your age, Alan, I want to be able to do that. That's what I want to be able to do. Why would you just did right there? 
One of the things we did in the book is we have one chapter on what are state and national standards on civics. So the teachers can then point to administration and say, no, what I'm doing, that's what the standard says. The other, we have another chapter on the legal rights of teachers in different states in the United States. So you have some understanding of how far you can go, but you can't go further. You can't, there are certain things you can't do. So uh, can I give an example? Uh, I'll give you an example. Washington, D.C., uh, there was a march uh, that all the unions were doing for workers in 2010. And, and Alan wrote about this because I actually met Alan over there. Um, originally, I was only supposed to take teachers. So I went to the union and they gave me a bus of 56 people. I was able to only secure five teachers to go with me to Washington, D.C. on a Saturday morning. So I said to the union, guys, can I take kids? And they were like, well, if the ratio is correct, why not? As long as you have parental consent. And this is a Saturday, so no one's getting paid. I said, no worries, no worries. So we, I decided, I told my students, meet at 5.30 a.m. in front of the school in the South Bronx. Meet me at 5.30 in the morning. And five teachers showed up. And I had over 60 kids show up. And the bus was full to capacity. I had to, I had to tell about four kids, I'm sorry, I, you can't go. I promise you a different trip. Now, I, at the union put food, because I called them up. I said, look, I got a full bus, and I got five, five teachers, and I have 54 kids, or 55 kids. And I need you to, um, can there be food or something? Because I can't afford to buy all of them something, and I, I want to get them all. The union packed it with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so the, the kids were taken over there. We had breakfast on the bus. And then uh, when they got there, we had lunch. And then on the way back, we had dinner. Everything was paid for by the union. But most importantly, the kids had an amazing experience, which they were very, very, very quick to to express themselves on Alan Singer's uh, Huffington Post blog uh, because he met us there. And so here we are walking and through this huge protest during the time of, of Occupy Wall Street and, and these kids from the South Bronx are, are completely and utterly engulfed in, in government on a Saturday at 5.30. You know, those are things that are inexplicable. I wish I could tell you that there was some sort of magic to it, but it's only, you know, it, it's what you do that's going to eventually count, especially what you do with those kids. The other thing, and again, we published about the Huffington Post. One of the things that I, I always did in what we do with Pablo is we publicize everything that we do. Schools like good publicity. So if you, I, like, I did a project with a middle school in Long Island called, it's in Hempstead. Hempstead is a very segregated, Long Island is very segregated. Narrow school districts, each racially, ethnically, economically segregated. The kids in Hempstead, all black and Latino, were learning in eighth grade, were learning about Brown v. Board. And they asked the teacher, how come if the Supreme Court says schools are integrated, there are only black and Latino kids here? We organized, they, they also learned about the Freedom Riders. So we organized the Freedom Walkers and they made t-shirts and signs, posters and songs, and they marched from their school a half a mile to Garden City, which is all white, and then another half a mile to a park in Garden City which said residents only. Now, we notified Garden City that we were coming and that we were being accompanied by a reporter from Newsday. Garden City 
welcomed them for their picnic in the park because they knew it was being covered by the press. And Hempstead, which was a little weary, were very pleased that these two teachers, middle school teachers I was working with, got them positive coverage in the newspaper. So I always try to get media coverage because media coverage makes the school look good and the administrators and are more willing to allow you to do these things. And by the way, let me say this. At times, sometimes people get confused by administrators because remember, administrators are just, they're doing what they can with what they have. And, and this I've learned throughout the years of working closely with them. Sometimes teachers believe that the administrator doesn't want them to do something. The administrator says, I, I really don't care if you do it as long as you do it and, and, and there's no problems. So, you know, I, I think a large part, we, we can't really, I, I'm not saying don't care about what the principal thinks. It's more, don't worry as long as you're doing the correct thing. Like you, you know, you're following the guidelines, you know, ultimately you can defend your position that this is for the student's benefit. Once you can no longer say this is for student's benefit, then something is wrong. And, and I, I've never been down that road, but, um, yeah, this I got from Alan years ago, which is if it benefits a student, then it's probably really good. So, and that's the, that's the model I take. John, Amy, I don't know if you know this, but in New York City, in order to have street creds with kids, you gotta be able to rap. So I have an alter ego. Kids in New York City, they know me as Reese's Pieces and they call me Reese's Pieces because I'm better than Eminem. So I do a lot of political raps. I, I wanted to share one with you today. Please do. This is my activism rap, but in order to rap, I gotta get my hat the right way. Now, I'm bad. I'm not bad like a rapper, I'm just bad, but just for fun. So it goes like this. Climate catastrophe, George Floyd memory, Parkland students die, we must always ask why. COVID makes us sit at home, makes it hard for us to roam. But never forget the biome, that's why I wrote this poem. School is a place to learn, so you can make the world churn. Join with Greta and me, and maybe save democracy. Thank you, this is <laughs> He does this everywhere. By the way, he did this in the South Bronx, and they loved it. <laughs> he did this in my school. I have different raps with different locations, but it's always the same. It's we got to tell the truth, and we got to organize for change. Let's come back to Earth for a sec. Um, so the New York State Regents exams were canceled this year. But in past years, there's been tremendous pressure on teachers to cover the region's material to ensure that students get high scores. How do you integrate project-based learning with student mastery of the region's format? What are some examples? You know, Dennis, maybe you could answer it from the perspective of a student who had to take the region's exams but got all involved in Pablo's political activism projects. Okay, I can speak to that. I want to say that it's, I don't really know, like, how to explain, like, the theory behind it, right? It's it's rather interesting to see because before Pablo came to the school, all of my, because Pablo was in Bronx Design and Construction, 
which is upstairs from my school. He ended up switching to my school, which was downstairs, which is Alfred e. Smith CTI school, but he was still in the same building. Um, he came downstairs before Pablo was there. Nobody, none of my friends can pass like the global exam. Like, I think it was like 26% the passing rate. After that, Pablo came, he transitioned through the summer and he started teaching like the way he teaches civic engagement, just the same way that he does and, and how he was. And the passing rate that summer and then that previous year skyrocketed to like 70 or 80%. Like I, I don't remember telling me, but I was, I was student body president. So I was sitting in, in the assistant principal's office and she was like amazed. And they were like praising Pablo as to like how he like did such a turnaround in the school. Um, come U.S. history regions, right? We're in 11th grade now. It's the same thing. We're getting, we're, we're starting the year off and we're doing, so we're starting with the constitution. We were thinking about political involvement. I was, I had enough about uh, metal detectors. One day we came mad into his class. He asked us what was wrong and we told him and he told us what you're going to do about it. We told him, we're like, what can we do? There's nothing we can really do. He was like, there's something you can always do. And then he proceeded with his lesson and we were, his lesson that day was the bill of rights. We're going through the Bill of Rights. We were learning about the Bill of Rights. And then at the end of the class, he proposes, he says, is there a student Bill of Rights? So he looks at us and I was like, I don't know. So next thing you know, me and my friend, Ibrahim Alpika, we go home that day and we go look at it and we're like, okay, we look it up. There is a student Bill of Rights. Suddenly we became relatively involved in wondering like why metal detectors were placed in Suddenly, like, our class, became, like, we went to Pablo's class and we would learn, but, like, we were just more focused on civic engagement. Every day was just, like, us, like, looking up different things and showing Pablo. And he was like, oh, okay, what are you going to do about it? He was just kept asking, like, what are you going to do about it? He never, like, told us to do it. He never told us to look up anything. We just kept looking at it. He just kept, like, picking at our curiosity. And the relative, like, re like I guess part would be that once we get went to taking like regents exam and things like that like I don't remember it being so hard because like Alan said we were learning the content through experience as we went through the year so we were learning we were doing project-based activity all year round but he was connecting it to the curriculum and to the topics and by the time we got to take the exam I mean, I know I got like a 99 or something like that, 99, 98 on the Regents exam. But most of everybody there passed. I think like he had, I think by the time the summer hit, by the time the summer hit, the entire class of 2016 was 100% passing rate for the U.S. history regions before their senior year. So let me follow up on that and, and very specifically ask Alan and Pablo, how as teachers, you know, as you were going through, in this case, I guess it was Pablo, the process that Dennis was describing from the student's point of view, what did you actually, how did you actually make these connections? Because it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there are two separate issues here. One is dealing with the specific body of knowledge that, that the regents are looking for. Did you cover this subject in the way that we want you to cover it? And the second is how do kids make the transition from, for example, Alan's rap to the format, the questions, the responses on the regions. Because we know that so often students have enormous verbal skills, for example, but they don't show up on ELA tests. So for looking at now very specifically, 
from the point of view of relatively new teachers who are listening and who would say, wow, I really like to do that. What do you recommend that they actually do mechanically? Okay, this, I, this is what I've been doing for the past, I want to say, 18 years, 19 years. Uh, not the whole time, but I think I started the year after. My do-nows are all current events, but not just random. It's not just random. It's Alan taught me this years ago, but Alan said it in a different way. And because I'm, I'm, you know, he was, he comes from an age where people used to have newspapers and stuff. So Alan used to tell me, I used to grab all the newspapers that they were throwing out. I would go through them and get the best ones. And then I would choose which ones make the most sense for them and, and kind of gear it towards the community that you're teaching and how it affects them. So what I do with do nows, for example, like when this COVID thing started, one of my lessons actually, even before they closed schools, was how do I get kids to understand it? So we did 1918, the, the Spanish flu, um, influenza. And then we, we were talking, you know, so how can COVID possibly look like that? So how do you get a kid to want to learn about the Spanish flu of 1918? Well, this is a great time to teach that. However, if you are teaching in 2008 around that era, maybe you might want to teach, you know, even now, it's a possibility, an econ a possible economic collapse. You know, how do you get, because kids don't want to know about the economy, right? But they do want to know if they can get a job. So I may bring in an article that day that relates to AI. And I might bring, you know, uh, for example, the New York, the United States Postal Service is now uh, have selfless driving trucks, uh, self-driving trucks, which they started in 2019. And they haven't had any incidents in the past year. And now they're thinking of, of increasing it from the near 2% they have right now to like 40%. And they have these huge numbers. That's a huge industry that's going to be gone. You know, so how do you teach that? And how do you get them to understand that? Hey, guys, truck driving is no longer an option for you. Let's look around. Okay. So you open up options. And I think once you get them to think, do so now. One of the things I do in the very beginning, and I take it from best articles written on this, was called uh, The Poverty of Words. And it shows that a kid from an impoverished area uh, and a kid from a, a professional family, uh, it, there's a difference in 32 million words, uh, a gap. There's a gap of 32 million words, literary speaking. And so my goal with, with these with do nows is you're going to read it. Uh, it may be some quick content. If there are words in there, then when we're talking, I have the kids, like, before I start the lesson, if it's part of the lesson, I would say, read out loud some responses. And then the kid, you know, one of the two kids will read a lot of responses. And so I'm careful to make sure to catch words that they don't understand or they're just saying. And so, do you know what that means? And once they say, not really, okay, let's go, let's go through it. So how do you teach, teach a kid that, that has never ate, eaten a uh, frozen turkey, you know, to thaw a turkey? How do you do that? You know, so when you hear uh, thawing it out, what does that mean? Oh, you know, when a turkey's frozen or anything's frozen and you just let it slowly melt. So you have to take that. And then you say, go ahead, say, thaw. You sort of do this in class. Again, it's important the first month to develop a rapport and a presence in the classroom. That way, the rest of the months, the kids will do whatever. They're kids. They just want to feel safe and they want to feel valued and they want to feel respected. And if you show them those three basic human traits, you could get them to do basket weaving. I'm, honest, I'm being honest about it. Let, let me add. So I use what I call a social studies approach to the study of history. But what that means is we use the past to help us better understand the present, and we use the present to help us better understand and formulate questions about the past. 
So the United States is in turmoil now over the Confederate memorials with over Black Lives Matter, over police behavior. Well, you can start off looking at newspaper articles about those things, and then you look at how we got here. How did we get these Confederate memorials? You begin to look at Jim Crow segregation in uh, the United States post-Civil War. You look at the police issues, and these are long-term issues. They go back to slave patrols. Aubrey, who got murdered in Georgia with, under the citizen's arrest, that citizen's arrest law was passed in Georgia during the Civil War because police were all involved in the, the Confederate Army. So basically, they empowered any white person to stop, arrest, and kill any black person. So you're using the past to understand how we got to the present. You're using the present to understand the past. And as, as Dennis said, all of a sudden, everybody is engaged. Everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to read. And then all of a sudden, these tests aren't so difficult because we have engaged learners who are working through difficult material because they want to understand. It's clear that the type of education you're talking about is qualitatively far above what most students receive. That said, with the regents, aren't we talking about a sort of quantity of content? You know, you have to know a whole lot of stuff. How do no. you know? Not at the test is. What, what happens, on, and I always used to say to the kids, first of all, the level of work we're doing in class is harder than the regents. So you don't have to worry about it. Then what I would do is I would incorporate region style questions into my lessons, into my classroom assessments, so they were comfortable with it. And then- Oh, and by the way, I, I, I don't call them regions, I just embed them. And I, Alan taught me this, demystifying the regions. Because sometimes we, unknowingly, we make it harder and we give more anxiety to kids when you can easily, I tell them exactly what, Alan taught me that years ago. So I say to them, guys, because some of them, I've had kids literally tell me, are we ever gonna go over the regions? And it's May. And I'm like, I, I say to them, you've been going over the entire time. And then like a week before, I'll go over some questions and they'll say, but we, we've done that. Exactly, why are you worried? Because you make it sound like we're all gonna pass. And I'm like, you are gonna pass. I'll see you tomorrow when you pass. And we did, <laughs> we did. The last piece is that the study of history is thematic. You can't touch on every piece of information. So I'm not grilling them on facts. If there's something we missed, they'll get a 98 instead of 100. My goal is that everybody passes the exam and feels good about what they did, not to grill so one kid can get 100. And if you teach that way, they all pass. And this is interesting. My, pass, my average scores were not always as high as the honors class, but my passing percentage in regular classes was at least as high, if not better, than in the school honors classes. Why? Because the kids were engaged, they were excited, and they did demanding work all year long. So the Regents was no big deal. 
Can, can the strategies that you use in social studies be used in other subjects as well? I'm thinking specifically of math and other STEM subjects. I actually ran a course, last class was today, for middle school teachers. And we actually two sections. One section was English, social studies. The other section was math science. And they were for teachers who were working with kids fifth grade through eighth grade. And every lesson opened up with projects. And I didn't invent this. This is the work of Bob Moses, the civil rights activist who wrote a book called Radical Equations. And Bob Moses argues that we have to start with the concrete so students understand what you're talking about. And then you go to the abstract. So one of the projects was translating between Celsius and Fahrenheit. So we were doing experiments with thermometers. How, what temperature was it Celsius? What temperature was it Fahrenheit? The kids were recording their results. Then what they did is, so they put, created a chart. Now these were teachers doing this. They created a chart. So they saw this Celsius was the equivalent of this Fahrenheit. Well, then what we did is I gave them, we had to figure out what was the relationship between Celsius and Fahrenheit. I want you to talk it through. And this is what Bob Moses calls people talk. And then what we said is, well, now let's do it a little bit in more mathematical terms what he calls feature talk. He said, now that you understand what the difference is between the two scales, I want you to see if you can come up with a formula for calculating. But we didn't memorize a formula. We created the formula based on developing understanding first. So I argue this approach can be used in every subject. There's also a, a former math teacher in New York City who did staff development named Kay Tolliver. And she had a series of videos called Good Morning, Miss Tolliver. And she also taught math by first starting with the concrete, with the world around us to figure out what the issues were. And then at the last step was formula and calculation, not the first. And we interviewed Bob Moses. There's a two-part interview in our archives, which can be found on our website, ethicalschools.org. I'm going to go watch that one now. <laughs> so what advice, aside from what you haven't mentioned, would you have for new social studies teachers, say, for Dennis? One of the things I would tell them is, number one, depends when you're coming in. And this is very important because I, I, I'm doing the same thing with the graduate courses. I have some students that are coming in and they're, you know, they may be in their 40s and others that are coming in when they're 23. Um, I always tell them to remember your audience. If, if you're going to a high school and you're, and you're younger, act older. You have to be older. Uh, so Dennis is going to high school. He's 22, I think 23 now, correct? Yeah, 23. So I would, exactly what I said to Dennis, you're going to go there. You know, if you're asked, how old are you? Well, I'm old. I just look very young, but I'm old. And, and gone, you know, that's the one thing I would say, you know, know your audience. Another thing it, it, I think is very important linguistically. Do not, and this is a big issue, and I teach this to a lot of 
the teachers that are brand new and coming from the suburbs into the inner city, don't be dismissive of the culture. Try to learn as much as you possibly can. It's not going to change you. I mean, it might change you in a good way, but it, it won't damage you. It, it, it will just open up other windows that weren't there before. So you're able to understand when a kid's having a conversation in front of you and they're using very urban terms, you know what the discussion is all about. And, and so you sometimes, even while I'm teaching, I may use a the, for, the, the, the jargon, teacher jargon, and that may not work, and I'll look for another more common word, and then I have to take it almost to the colloquial or even the you know colloquial, and I have to find a word that relates to that one to give them that word. So you do kind of need to flip through these language with different languages, and, and, and the new mixes that are coming in, and, and as long as you stay involved and researching at all times, you will always be very effective in front of your students. And by the way, when I say research, it doesn't only mean opening a book. It means, you know, knowing what the students are listening to. Just recently, you know, I, I, right before the COVID happened, I was doing remote learning. And one of the videos that popped up uh, was a uh, little baby, uh, the bigger picture, you know, and, and it falls perfectly into what was going on at the end of June with Black Lives Matter. And I put it up as a video and I said to the kids, you know, write what you think about this video. And I got massive responses because you know, it's their world. That's, it, it's a new song. It's, 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 it's an artist that the kids are listening to. It, it's an artist that's speaking, uh, you know, a lot of truth to, to power. And so you want to be engaged in what they are listening to and what they're going through. Uh, you want to be as engaged as you possibly can in their lives so you can be the most effective teacher possible. Let me add, Bill, on something Pablo said. And this was something that I had difficulty with when I started out when I was 21 years old. And that is, you have to be the adult in the room. The kids need you to be their teacher, not their friend. You can treat them with respect, with decency, but you always have to be the adult. If a kid is having a bad head day and they're acting out, you're the one who has to back off because you're not there to provoke an incident. And you just say, I'll catch you later. We'll talk about this later. Now, I was also a street kid. The three of us grew up in the South Bronx, but Pablo and I actually went to the same middle school about 30 years apart. So, you know, I had difficulty because I was a, I was a kid from that neighborhood, from that street. And I, you know, I would react and I had to learn I was the adult and I couldn't react. They were the kids and I had to treat them that way. Um, the other thing I would add, and this is something I say to all my classes when new students come to the teacher ed program, and it was funny because I said it today, but with a twist. I always say, you're here and you're going to do it my way because my way is consistent with effective teaching and New York State mandates. When you're done, some of you are going to go like this and say, thank heavens, I never have to see him again. And some of you, I will work with you your entire career as long as you want to work with me. And the choice is yours. That's, that's it. And by the way, I pass that same thing down to, to my students. So if for that question about the middle school and how to do it, Randell, Verona, and Tyreek are both middle school teachers here in the Bronx. I was just talking to them on the phone yesterday. If I would, I, I'm sorry, I, I could have invited them as well. But they, they would have given you a very good answer because they've been teaching now for over three years each. 
uh, they've been teaching here in the South Bronx. You know, I, I'm seeing it. I, everything Alan is saying, I, I, you know, those kids that I wrote about, they're very real. <laughs> they're, they're around. Uh, you know, one of those is, is an artist. She's a, a pop artist, you know. Uh, so these things are very real. They're very real. You know, Alan told me this a long time ago, and, and I'll share it, which is, and this is for all new teachers, and, and the kids should, for me, they know it automatically because it's already, I've been doing it for so long. But remember that it's your world they're entering and you have almost complete control of your world. And so if they're going to enter your world, they should be, it, it should be under universal terms created by you as the teacher. And those terms are safety above all. Uh, and I mean safety both physically, mental, emotionally, I mean, all, all forms of safety. And, and just, you know, the, the right intentions. And, and also, master your content. Master your content. Kids will know when you're lying to them. They'll know. Don't lie. You know, you don't know? I don't know. I, I'll look for it tomorrow. And I did that with, with Dennis and everyone. And they used to ask me, how come you say you, you don't know? I don't know. You got to be honest about it. And so when you're that honest, they're that honest. Kids are not complicated at all. I used to play basketball with the kids after school. And when I taught middle school, I was a good player. And when I taught high school, they had to take care of me because I couldn't keep up with them. And but what I said to the kids is when I play, I'm still your teacher. And I used to have the kids call me Alan. They said, I'm still your teacher, which means there's language we can't use while we're playing together. If you want to use that language, that's okay, but then I can't play because I'm your teacher. And every once in a while, one of the kids would foul and shout the N-word. And then another kid would say, no, you can't talk that way because we want Alan to play. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Alan Singer, Dr. Pablo Muriel, and Dennis Bellen Morales. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating or review. This helps other people to find the show. Check out our website, ethicalschools.org, for more episodes and articles, and subscribe to our monthly emails. We post annotated transcripts of our interviews to make them easy to use in workshops or classes. We also work with consultants to offer customized SEL programs with a focus on ethics for schools and youth programs in the New York City area. Contact us at hosts at ethicalschools.org. That's hosts at ethicalschools.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ethical Schools. Our editor and social media manager is Amanda Denti. Till next week. Thank you.